Hello there. Welcome in, everybody. I have David Koshpasand here with me today, working over at Hasbro and previously over at Tenuity. But before I give too much away on your background, David, I'd like to welcome you in and uh, ask you if you could give a little bit of background on your experience and your background. Appreciate you all have me. Uh, super happy to be here. Um, big fans of your podcast and the content you provide, first of all. Um, so name's David. Appreciate you introducing me. Um, I've been working on Amazon since around 2017. Um, backgrounds mainly focused in marketing and brand marketing. Once I, you know, really dived into Amazon. That's where the analytical side uh, started to kind of emerge and become front and center. Um, from there, I also taught uh, consumer behavior at Mary Baldwin University part-time and uh, learning the research and, and the purchasing decisions that customer make was really intriguing with me along with the psychology. And then taking that knowledge really and diving into search uh, at Tenuity. Uh, I was there for almost two years, and then now I'm super excited to be at Hasbro and apply all the knowledge that we've gained so far um, into their ecosystem and to figure really how to excel in toys and games. It's incredible. It's very rare we get someone on that is you know experienced in the PPC role as much as us. So it's uh, it's exciting to talk with you, and you know you come from the brand side as well, which um, it's like the best of both worlds: the people we work with as well as doing our own role. <laughs> I wanted Absolutely. to pull up our LinkedIn and figure out when we first got connected because it's been a while. And all I know is every time I got a message from you, it would be you and I going back and forth for 45 minutes on like some absolutely in-depth, ridiculous strategy. Like, you know, everyone out there is posting about match types and ad types. And then David and I are like diving into like impression share forecasting and figuring out how to do like better budget distribution. So I've, I'm always super excited and even more so now that you can kind of tie in that knowledge on the brand side, working with a complex catalog like you're doing and you're having to get a lot more incremental and manage that relationship from a completely different viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the conversations that that we've had reaching out to you, you know, the one aspect that I took from Kobe Bryant, I was like a basketball fan and followed him. He always asked questions and I always thought, you know, never be scared to ask the, the best people in the field like what their opinion is. And, and that's exactly why I reached out to you was, you know, I would just pose these questions say, hey, what's, what's your point of view? What's your opinion on this to help me contextualize um, some of the thoughts that I'm having and get better? So I appreciate you even taking the time to, you know, to provide feedback. And now we've, you know, built a relationship, which is nice. And I appreciate that as well. Of course, we've came full circle. And now we're about yeah. to take all of that value and hopefully give it to our listeners and our LinkedIn audience, because I know you have a lot to bring today. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to share um, a lot. Um, if when it, Just let me know if we want to dive into some of the topics we discussed earlier or, or uh, what would you like to do? Yeah. Just before we got recording, um, David was talking to us and we we're really excited getting into it. So um, we were talking a little bit about planning um, and forecasting more or less. So I'd love for you to kind of open up and talk to you, talk to us about your experience on the brand side with doing exactly that. Yeah. So the main initiative that I'm put into place um, as my role in Hasbro is figuring out how to set the right strategic goals and to create a framework. Bill Gur Gurley, who's like a super famous um, investor in the Silicon Valley, he talks about frameworks and having a, a right framework in place that everyone can share the same language and it's crystal clear. Um, the framework that me personally that I've done research and that I enjoy a lot is the alchemy of growth. And it was written by the McKinsey uh, Research Company. And um, with that, I'm trying to conjoin that with uh, Measure What Matters, which is a, a book wrote by John Doerr. And he talks about objectives and key results. 
So putting those two together, and, and the reason why I say planning is so important is because if you don't have the right framework in, um, in, in line, essentially everyone doesn't have focus, they're not aligned, and the things that we're tracking may not be as important, and hence the book Measure What Matters. Um, with that, I can kind of give a, a brief overview of what the alchemy of growth even is, what it means. Um, and then I would love after that brief overview, get your feedback. Um, and then maybe we could see, you know, how to strategically map out or, or tactically what um, listeners could do for, for their own brands or even as an agency and proposing some of this idea um, to their partners. Uh, so the alchemy of growth really is broken down to three horizons. Uh, you have your horizon one, which is focused on your bottom line results, your profitability. So this is what we typically think of as ROAS. Um, and then we have our second horizon is focused on top line sales growth. Now, this is more about, you know, revenue. It's about market share. The ROAS is not the primary metric. In fact, in this horizon two, experimentation and investment are needed in order for this horizon two to succeed. Um, and it's not to say that profitability is not a cannibal is this. It's just not the primary metric. You know, it's that same uh, saying that says nothing will kill this horizon two initiative faster than measuring it for success like you would this horizon one, right? And we've heard like the ROAS jail and all these, you know, situations about trying to steer clear of that. And in this model, it does. And then horizon three is like your big bet, your seed growth, you know, paraphrasing here, but uh, Warren Buffett said someone sitting underneath the shade of a tree that was planted long ago. Um, so we need to think about the future and, and what investments can we make? That could be sweat equity. If there's a bootstrap company, it could be a lot of different ways we look at this. Because this model is applied for business, but in, I, I take it and I apply it to media. You can apply it to any type of system. And the reason why I was saying, well, what's the value of the system is because the study that they did was saying, why aren't all companies growing sustainably? Like what's stopping them? Uh, and what they found is six common patterns. I'll give you two examples. So one, if you're so focused on your core business and you're thinking about how can you extend and defend your core business and you're neglecting the future and your future initiatives, then what happens when those start to die off, you don't have any business in the pipeline to have a growth engine that'll take place of this current business, right? So that's one instance. And then on the flip side of that, if you're so future oriented, then what happens is you don't have the financial capacity to provide that investment for to carry over this emerging business that you've created that's providing really good market position and it's gaining market share, but now you just can't fund it. You don't have the money to keep funding it. Um, so there's this balance. And what they said in their thesis is all three of these horizons need to be managed concurrently. So there should be a point when we're planning goals and we're setting strategies or we're even managing um, the day-to-day. -day. We should be thinking about today's core business the emerging business, and then also big bets all at the same time. And we should be having conversations around that and then setting goals. So this that's pretty much the overview The for now how it conjoins with Measure What Matters is, and then I'll, I'd love your feedback, is essentially in the book so far, I'm, I'm like halfway through, but what I really like about it was Andy Grove, who was the former CEO of Intel, he's the first one to introduce this and he just called it, you know, objectives and key results. Objectives, what do you want to accomplish? And the key results is how. Um, but the four key pillars is focus, align, track, and stretch. The focus part is really key because what exactly do we want to accomplish? You know, we said in an earlier conversation and bringing here is like, 
when you look at your organic versus paid traffic and sales, what do you want to do with this amount of paid media that's coming in? What do you want to accomplish? Let's get very clear on that first. So you have that focus. Could be, you know, top line revenue growth, could be a horizon two more initiative, could be about really tightening things in and focusing on that core business. But whatever, if you get very clear on that. So then that second part, when you align on it, it's crystal clear. There's a quote in it that I really liked and I'll kind of paraphrase. And it says, collective agreement maximizes achievement. And what it really means is when we're a brand and we're aligned perfectly with the agency and we're both speaking the same language, when I when I talk to them about the three horizons, they know exactly what I mean. When I talk to them about the objectives and key results within inch uh, horizon knew exactly what I'm talking about. We're speaking the same language. We're all aligned and that's going to maximize productivity instead of always guessing or, or the, or the objective is, is like muddy and we're not exactly clear, you know, grow incremental sales. What does that mean? You know, we know exactly <laughs> what that means and exa- and how it maps out and in, into which business initiative. So that's the kind of the overall, I would love uh, some of your feedback on that. Cause I know it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. There's two things that have really stood out from my experience with both models and my experience on the agency side. One, not issue. The one thing I've personally struggled with with applying the traction style OKR model, the objectives and key results, is e-commerce moves so quick. Like so quick. And that's where I think you calling out the first aspect of setting those horizon goals that can be judged, success can be judged on a longer time frame, right? Let's look at 12 months. Let's look at our full goals for the next three, five, 10 years. And then kind of layering in a quicker OKR models, how I feel. I know that there's many times, especially dealing with like the COVID catalyst in e-commerce where, okay, we sold out of all of our inventory in 45 days, or we had this TikTok go viral and we had to completely change everything. So I know that's been something that I feel like I haven't fully figured out how to deal with is just how quick e-commerce moves and how we're going to have to be so much better at goal setting and alignment because the whole business can change in six to 12 months nowadays. I mean, we've seen so many of the largest enterprise companies finally start fully investing in e-commerce. They have no idea how to set up their teams. So they're reaching out to us and the Tenuities and the VMLs and all the large agencies. They're going to them like, Hey, I don't know this platform. I hired my youngest person on a team. Please help us set goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we can do that, but I need to know what those horizons are. I need to know what, as a business, you're trying to achieve before I can ever give feedback on those objectives. And that, that synergy and alignment from agency brand side is not fantastic in the space on the e-commerce side because both sides don't know enough about the other person's business. Brand side doesn't know enough about e-commerce to understand expectation setting. And agency side doesn't know enough about the brand's actual horizons and objectives to really deliver on those. Yeah, that's that's great insight. And so we know that based on what I'm hearing is the e-commerce um, retail space adapts and moves quickly and that the responsiveness to that um, can be challenging um, is, is what it sounds like. And I've experienced that myself. And you're right, that transparency with the brand that you're working with is vital and the transparency with the agency to say, Hey, look, this is what, what would you rather spend your time doing? Because some of the things that that I really pulled into is like, I really would enjoy having more conversations around strategy than performance because I can see the performance and I can gather my own insights. Would it be uh, more productive for us to have conversations around planning because 
this landscape is evolving very quickly and how do we adapt? Um, I think conversation around that and honesty is important. And then to your point about like having plans in place, because you're right, things happen and then all of a sudden you don't have to stop, um, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, it happens to all of us and it happens to different brands and it can be challenging. When you have that horizons in place, I think that's why it's important to say, hey, look, these are the key challenges that I can expect in my core business. And that growth engine that we're trying to pull towards hopefully can help offset when that happens. And that's why we're trying to manage this concurrently so we can think about, hey, in case things happen today, there's things in place tomorrow that'll help us into our core business starts to lift back up again. Um, but you're right, you brought up a lot of good points. And I think this is some of the challenges that we're all working through. The second part I would say to that is um, with objectives and key results, your objective could theoretically stay the same. Your key results should evolve. And it's a process of trial and error, right? Like when I told the agency when we were first putting in place, I was like, this is the first time we're putting this framework together. This is uh, something that we're going to evolve together. There's going to be some trial. There's going to be some error. We're going to hit some bumps. But at the end of this framework, when we gather it, next year is going to be better. And the year after that's going to be better because we're trying to, to find this long-term relationship where we can build this trust, but we can also build a, a framework in place where we're all lined on and we're all focused on, we can track. Um, so I would, I would say, hey, like get the agency's feedback and the brand's feedback together and say, when these things do happen, we need to consider if our key results of how we're accomplishing this goal needs to evolve. And maybe it needs to change for a week, maybe it needs to change for a quarter, um, but we need to think about this objective that we're trying to get and we should be able to be fluid because to, to your point, the e-commerce is it, it flows and it goes and it hits and it waves and it crashes. And we need to be fluid in our approach instead of so like, you know, brick and mortar fixed. And this is the planogram and this is how we're doing it. Did anyone here expect a 14 year old with access to a TikTok account to have so much power over e-commerce? Mm. I mean, they got to they post one video and you could sell out of all of your inventory in one day. And that is yeah. insane. It is incredible. And, and you're right. Like it's, a fun dynamic. It, it's, it's definitely evolved and the consumer has way more power than they did in the, in the past and influence not only through communication, but the way that products being moved. And it's an exciting time. Um, but to your point, it, it brings a great deal of variability um, that can be uh, you just didn't expect. So um, yeah. good points made. So within each of those three horizons, I have to imagine you you're measuring them very differently, right? You're measuring your yeah. your, your focus core initiatives today very differently than your growth um, future investments. Um, and I imagine accountability has to be different across those. So how do you, you know, kind of a half question of how do you get your team to buy in across these initiatives? And then two, how are you measuring across all of these? Uh, I guess I should call them horizons. Yeah, horizons. Yeah. So um, the first round is you or your team just brainstorming on exactly what these could be and what objectives you want to accomplish for and then run it by the agency and get that collective buy in about this is right. This is wrong. This is where we could be, you know, gray area. So for, for me personally, the way I tried to set it up was thinking about that, that horizon one profitability saying, and you'll see all this feeds into the same, this one horizon saying, hey, look, at the end of the day, we have to hit a ROAS goal of X, okay? Um, no matter what. So that's one pillar of horizon one. The second one could be, you know, based on productivity. And this doesn't even have to go um, 
you know, straightened to edge. You can think about this in operations. It, if, if your supply chain is just not optimized, that could be one way that you can increase productivity. If your A plus page on, on certain ASINs are not up to par and you know the conversion rate, I mean, Destiny does an awesome job of pointing out the fact that if you go to brand metrics and you start to look at the conversion rate, um, you can start to glean some of these insights. Um, is it is it optimal? No, that should be a goal, right? So, and feed all the way up to me to, so productivity is, is and how I think about efficiency, there's different uh, things that I've done on the account where we've increased efficiencies and I'd like to maintain some of that. Um, but profitability and productivity, I would say to start to, to noodle on that and that's how you measure it. Um, the second horizon could be because we're talking about top line sales growth, market position, um, market share, where do you really want to make an impact where you media, where you can grow and then think about what does that measurement look like? And then you can have secondary measurements where you're saying, what happened to the business after I made these changes? Um, the, the cautionary tale that I would provide in this is in the book, it says staircase to grow small measured steps. So when you really want to take these big business leaps in terms of like, where do I want to grow in the future? Try to take these small measured steps of saying, hey, look, I really want to increase my glance views. Um, how do I go about that? I'm not going to measure ROAS on that, right? The ROAS could be like a one, right? And maybe you say, hey, look, as long as it's a one, it's acceptable, right? But my goal here is to really drive category terms and consideration and clicks. And, and clicks and glance views is my primary metric for like, let's say this example. Um, another one could be, you know, revenue driven and you're, and you're really trying to push revenue and measuring revenue for that. Um, the third one for the big bets, that one, it, it can get a little messy when you're trying to pull in what the, um, the prime metric, cause it's a big bet. And should, so for example, like if you were investing in a technology company and you were at Amazon and you built and you purchased this startup, like over the next five years, what does that look like? Throughout the book, they talk about the percentage of rate of conversion um, and new customer acquisition and top line sales growth. So a little bit of what that Horizon 2 looks like is just with a little bit more like understanding and compassion that this could completely fail. Like we could do a big bet and it could do nothing and that should be OK. You know, it, and it's not irresponsible because what, what we're trying to do is take chances. I mean, the one example that I really like that um, that I heard from Bill Gurley talk was he said that Jeff Bezos um, early on would put this experiment in a place where he had Uber do a same day delivery as an experiment and did that for a little while until they could prove it through. And there was not some success begin. There was a lot of challenges. And the point that Bill Gurley made was how many companies do you know that were bringing in a hundred or more a million in revenue would do experiments like this? And would because he said, you know, big companies, they do a test. If it doesn't work the first time, it's done. He said the reason startups succeed is because when they do the first test and it doesn't succeed, they do it again. They do it again. They do it again because it has to stick. So they get more shots at goal. So starting to think about like, you know, if you do a test and it doesn't work the first time, don't stop. Maybe run it again. Because if you think about it, is that one test truly representative of the outcome that we're trying to reach? Um, because if you did a sample size of anything in marketing research, you can't make a generalization based off one sample set. Um, it's only uh, an indicator. So um, thinking about that and, and maybe some of those measurements and, and context that I provided could help 
um, guide the way. If you're if you're having trouble even thinking about what should I do within Horizon, um, Blue Ocean Strategy had this nice framework it's, where it basically said eliminate, reduce, raise, or create. So if you're thinking about that in your core business, what in my core business can I eliminate for for productivity? What can I reduce? That could be, you know, supply chain costs, negotiations, whatever the case may be. It could be bids, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we're thinking about what can we raise because we want to extend the business. And maybe we do have the, we've built a profitability and we just haven't been, you know, bullish enough and we're raising the bids or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. And then altogether, what should we create? And that's like a completely new product, completely new line. Maybe we focus too much on brand extensions and we haven't brought something new to the market that that's that needs. Um, so there's some different ways of looking at it. That's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and, and, I don't, and, and when people hear <laughs> this, yeah, when, pe- when you hear this for the first time, the, the thing I would encourage you is, you know, just buy the books and, and, and read them because there's so much deep context into it and so much learnings. And these are just the key takeaways that I took from it. And, you might read it and take something completely else and it just like enhances your business and, you know, could potentially like five to 10 X. It's all about like, you know, how do you interpret it? It's also so dependent on like right time and the situational aspect, like you mentioned, like the principles that you're going to apply on brand side are going to be a lot different than on agency side where you are having to deal with so many different shareholders, right? So maybe you do have to have more flexibility, but on brand side, your stakeholders need that consistency and long-term growth. So I think that's something like I, the original Intel book, I, I read a lot of Google's um, initial documentation on like building operational success. And it's so interesting how that changes with growth or over time. And I think that's the part that people mess up on. They take something like traction model, they take all the different operating systems and they have they want it to apply perfectly in their business. And when it doesn't, they stop. And that's not the right way to look at it. You got to find the key pieces that align with the size and the goals that you're trying to achieve and then make it work for what you're trying to go after. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. And, it, and I think that goes back to the point where it's just like, you know, the first time you fail, don't stop. And yeah. Exactly. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you all heard of this dude named uh, David Goggins before uh, yes. that he, he heard of him. I, at this point, maybe he's like a household name, um, but he, he doesn't call them failures. He calls them attempts. Mm-hmm. So and, and I think that's a good way to, to reframe it to, uh, you know, anytime when I was at the agency and I would provide email feedbacks, I would say wins and opportunities. I never said this is what went right and this is what went wrong because I'm like, this is what I see happening. And here's an opportunity to where we can make this better in the future. Um, so, I mean, the way you look at things uh, can, <laughs> can change your life, can change your business, can change a partnership. A hundred percent. One of the things that I think made a big difference in us early on is we, we read, like I said, most of those models and it was like four of us. Like we're sitting here trying to have like Elton meetings and run off OKRs with four people hmm. on our team. And I had this of like, like, no, we, this is not, this does not make sense. Like we need flexibility. We're wearing 78 hats. Like we can have our original objectives, but we then read the Netflix model, no rules, rules. And that just aligns so much with also the people you have on your team. Like you have organizations that are going to be very systematic and you know, that's what caused them to scale to that point. They need to have very specific SOPs. They don't have a lot of flexibility. Then you're going to have organizations that are maybe more strategic. 
And like knowing how to create operating system for those different models, I think is incredibly important because it's all dependent on your people. Do you have systems people, integrators? Do you have more visionaries? How does that department break out? Like there's so much variability and complexity that even just something as simple as goal planning can become so much more complex. A hundred percent. And the, the framework that I'm providing today is like the passion that I have for, hey, this is my personal journey of saying that I really like alchemy of growth and measure what mm-hmm. matters and I'm trying to conjoin them. I don't think everyone should just, that's what I want to copy. Like everyone should yep. follow their passions and saying, hey, look, this is the insight because at the same day, you're just going to be a, a potential clone of something else. Now we, we should take models that work and apply them to our business. I think that's perfectly fine, but you're right. Like, if you tried to take a screw and, and, and try to put it in a nail, whatever the case, you know, trying to build an analogy here, it doesn't fit, right? You know, you have to do what's fit and, and what does that, that company culture feel like or, you know, for your business and the people. And they're like, we gave this an honest try and, you know, we attempted this three times and it's just not really sticking. It doesn't feel right. What what parts of it did feel right and what part of it didn't? And then you get inspired. Like you said, you read the Netflix book and you got inspired and you're like, wait a second, this might actually feel a lot more productive for us and then go with that. And I think it's a life is about experimenting and, and learning and, you know, figuring out, you know, getting real meta now, but we don't, you know, trying to figure out what all, <laughs> what all this is. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're all trying to take our best guess at it. And I think really being true to yourself and figuring out what works for you is important. Yeah, completely agree. That's amazing. Well, Justin, what you got? On that, yeah, no, on that note, that's like such a such an yeah. uplifting note to kind of wrap up on. I want to bring it back to where we started with asking about um, the the differences between tenuity and, and the brand side now, agency versus brand side. Um, you know, like what are your what are your favorite things about working on the brand side now in in Hasbro specifically, and what are some of the biggest things you miss on the agency side? Um, you know, working with brands. Yeah. On the, so for the brand side, I think what's exciting for me is that I'm able to really dive into more ASIN level performance and get a better understanding of merchandising strategy in general. You know, you have different occasions for how should we merchandise this brand, this product, um, you know, and, and how does it fit for someone who's planning to buy and not planning to buy and what happens during these certain occasions. And there's a lot of complexities that happen at the scale uh, of Hasbro and the, and the toys and games industry, which, um, and I mentioned earlier, when I was at the agency, a lot of times the brands would provide you the ASINs and saying, hey, look, this is the ASINs that we want to work with. Can you provide the best strategy for it? And I would say, absolutely. So it's really nice for me. I'm growing personally and professionally to really gain that insight into the merchandising strategy, which I think is important because I, I just think it makes you just overall um, enhances your, your point of view. Just it just widens the scope when you're really thinking about problem solving on the agency side. What I thought was cool is you get so much exposure to different categories. So, uh, you know, I was working in, you know, for coffee, I was working in soda, I was working in, you know, mm-hmm. this top line, you know, CPG company and, and I had so much exposure to different places on Amazon that was intriguing. And, and you could see what was working in, in one CPG and see if, you know, was working another one. And 
the landscape was just so wide that it was enjoyable. It was it was really fun. Um, just at that level of exposure and, and just day to day, you know, it was like chopping a what's going to be. I, I think that was exciting. Yeah, no, I can definitely speak to that. I mean, I'm sure Destiny can as well. The the view we get over the whole landscape on Amazon and, and e-commerce as a whole is great and something that as a seller, you might be scratching your head saying, are other sellers saying the same thing I am? So right. it's great to see on our side, but it's also great on your side too, with getting to actually manipulate the listing and understand, you know, if I pull this lever, what happens to my sales, my new to brand customer rate uh, versus on the, the ad side, you can only tell the brands that and, and hope they you know, do with it what they will. Exactly. And to be honest with you, man, and I told people at Hasbro this, like when I, in 2016, 17, 18, I would go to the New York toy fair and I would see their booth and I would be like, oh my God, I'm like, there's the Power Rangers. And and there, you know, there's all these <laughs> awesome toys. There's Nerf and there's Play-Doh and there's all these games that I played. I was just in awe. And I, I was like, man, I hope one day, how cool would it be? If I was working for them and I was able to, you know, really be at a business at that level of scale. And I'm just super lucky and grateful that I can do it because I still geek. I'm like a, you know, kid adult. I still, you know, love toys and, you know, I can't wait till the new Indiana Jones comes out. Like I, I'm still that kid at heart. So for me, this is, you know, right place to be. Oh, hundred percent. I can't lie. I was scrolling the Hasbro site before this and spotted a couple NBA action figures that there look pretty go. cool. So I'm right there with you, man. Awesome. You're, you're always a kid at heart. That's right. <laughs> that, that intersection of passion and career and excitement is always a really fun place to be, regardless of where it's at, what you're doing. I think if you can... like, I mean, everyone who's been listening to the first 25 minutes of this you are very passionate about project management and the operating systems and what it takes to be successful. Because if you weren't, who would take the time to learn that much? You know, and I think that is a real testament to being able to combine all of those factors. I think it's going to be really great for you in the next few years. Thank you so much, Destiny. I appreciate you saying that. And thank you for sharing it with everyone. Like, I think when Justin and I came together and we were talking about what a podcast would look like, you know, the most simple direction was. Amazon advertising. And I was like, I've been doing content on Amazon ads for like four years now. How do we provide a unique angle for all of the different ways there are to be successful? So we really wanted to hit brand side pretty hard because we have you on here talking about what's helped you be successful in your role, how you've built out this planning and forecasting system within Hasbro. And then, you know, we have Nestle on talking about like product innovation and how that works. And like, there's so many different aspects. And yeah, it's really niche. Not every, it's not a generalist podcast. But the value you've brought has been incredible. So thank you for even joining. Oh, it's it's been a pleasure. And um, thank you, Justin, and everyone for just having me on. Like I said, I'm a fan. Uh, I, I read the LinkedIn <laughs> post. I listen to the podcast and it's helped me grow professionally. So um, thank you. And please keep putting out the content because it's helpful. <laughs> thank you so much for the kind words. We'll definitely have to have you back later this year. Awesome. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you.